Talking Tesla. Talking Tesla. Tesla. I'm not sure if like my foot should be on the brake or the accelerator. They put reins on Elon. It must be some sort of geometrical algorithm. Are you ready now? Oh, I'm sure this is math. Tom. <laughs> Robert. Yeah. Well, all right, fellas. Well, let's go. How am I expected to drive a car without autopilot? So here's the deal. You know, I'm not a good parker, Tom. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah. Just think that this is a car company that is run by super Auto geeks. All the other cars are going to be stupid cars compared to this car. Tesla. You don't even have Tesla. Yep. I remember that. You've got a Model X. seen the future, and it is light pole charging. No, I wouldn't call it a screw-up. Do you like your Model X? God, it's beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for Talking Tesla 87. Ochentai siete. Uh, yeah, I believe that that is the French for it. Yes, that's correct. Hey, uh, Tom's not here. Mm. Again, Tom's not here. Tom just put on a big show last week. He's exhausted. He's also had some stuff going on at home. And uh, we just sort of loved Tom. We'll uh, talk to him next week. He has got a long, well-deserved two-week rest. Sending Tom a lot of good vibes. Good. Tesla Nation, send your vibes to Tom. Good vibrations to the Thomas. He deserves them. Hey, uh, something amazing, incredible, wonderful, overwhelming, exciting, huge, big, large, Bunkakian, <laughs> chocolate-covered, smooth. <laughs> oh, I could go on. Happened to you on the weekend. Please, Robert, please tell us what, what has happened to you. Oh, this is like the, reason, the reason why I didn't get to sleep very well last night. I went uh, Actually, I went and saw the Jason Bonham uh, – Led Zeppelin experience. It was it was it was kind of like being teleported back to my youth. It was a lot of fun. Uh, never as good as you expected, right? Never, never. But it was a fun experience. Went and uh, watched a lot of sixty-something people uh, rock and rolling out, getting a little too intoxicated. Um, the memories of my youth are better than probably the reality was. Yes, that's true of all of us. So I come home, yes. and there's a billion tweets on my phone. How many? A billion. I've told you a trillion times not to exaggerate. I know. Well, okay. Maybe a couple hundred? Thank you. Okay. And so it turns out that Elon was announcing that there's a update to the autopilot, and I got that you know, somehow it depends. It's interesting, the interwebs, how they work, but maybe I don't pay enough money to Twitter, so I don't get the tweets right away. <laughs> Already a few hundred people had seen it, but I sent back, I said, you know, it's a good idea that it becomes better because it feels a little bit uncomfortable when I'm on the highway and I'm like, okay, I'm going to relinquish the driving to the car and the car uh, allows me to maybe take a bite of my burger Yes. Or to jot a note on a piece of scrap paper. You're not supposed to do that, but go on. And all of a sudden it's jerking, 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 jerking left, jerking right, because it's it's adjusting. Right. It's not at all smooth. So Elon says it's very safe, but we're going to make it smoother. I enlightened Elon with my experience and concern, and he tweeted back to me. What? Yeah. He tweeted you back directly? He did, actually. He said, excited about Tesla autopilot software release rolling out next month. New control algorithm feels as smooth as silk. That's exciting. Silk sounds nice. Yeah, I um, my wavy lines have gotten significantly better, but there is that jerkiness. He says he's going to smooth it out, and he tweeted you directly. I think I don't think you're showing enough excitement. I am more excited than you. Yeah, Elon well, Musk, the Elon Musk, me? answered your tweet. I mean, what I would like—I actually have a list of probably fourteen questions I'd like to ask Elon Musk. 
And maybe at some point in the future, when talking Tesla gets big enough, mm -hmm. or I don't know, he listens enough, he will let us ask these questions. But um, what can I say? It was it did feel good. It, nice to feel a little of uh, acknowledgement since yep. we're so like steeped as a tea in the Tesla-ness. I am uh, excited about these updates. Even just the small incremental that's going to go from a little jerky to a little smooth is good for me because uh, I just like this idea that is incrementally getting better over time. It's learning clearly if this is a major upgrade. He made it sound like, you know, this is buttery, smooth, silky, so many miles must have been put on this thing. Algorithms have been tweaked. Remember that Mobileye was their autonomous driving sort of uh, brain. Vendor, yeah. That then they pulled out and Elon had hoped that they could use sort of mobile eye while they get the NVIDIA up and running and there'd be this smooth transition. But mobile eye was like, I don't think so. We're out. Right. So they've really spent the last six months just trying to get back up to parity to where they were. And so I think you're, what you'll see because of the uh, speed of learning and the speed of the chips, a fairly rapid incremental changes from now on, now that they're sort of back to parity, or at least with this edition, uh, they should be at parity. It's good as Talking Tesla Nation has patience while Tesla has hiccups. But we got a lot of stuff to cover, Mel. What do you say? Oh, Should we rock it through this? Oh, my gosh. There's so much to go through. First of all, supercharging for all. This one from Electric. Ah, electric. There's a number of electric articles. And uh, so Tesla said that uh, they're going to change the supercharging for life thing. And I understood this to mean, when I read this article, and a couple of others like it, that basically what they did is that they rebooted. Remember that supercharging for life was sort of turned off in mid-January. You had to order your car before mid-January to get supercharging for life. And people like you who drive a lot said, boy, if I'm going to buy another car, I need to get it now so that I can get supercharging for life. So you did that, and then we all knew that the 100D would be coming out later and you had to make this choice. Supercharging or 100D, you couldn't really have both. Well, then, as I read this, oh, Robert, it said now they're basically going to grandfather in everybody up till a few days ago no! for a supercharging for life. Is that correct? I don't think so. I think that I was think, a misread on my part. Well, I, I, that article was very confusing to me. When I read it, I was like, what? And so I went back to the article, I'm sorry, to the letter that actually came into my inbox mm -hmm. and reread it like two times, three times. I went to the Tesla website because, God forbid, we don't want to misinform Tesla Nation. No. And what I read is this. Now, if you have a Tesla, you have a referral code. Right. Right? Robert. 3177. As an example. As an example. <laughs> and if five, I get the opportunity to give five people a, the use of my referral code, $1,000 off, and now free supercharging for life when they complete their purchase. They get free supercharging. They get free supercharging for life because it turns out one of the main things that made referrers such as myself and you and Tom, makes referrers happy is to boast that they can drive for free. Yes. And that was no longer the case. So Tesla has reverted this, made it part of the uh, referral program refresh so that now uh, I can not only give somebody a $1,000 off their car, I can give them that benefit of free supercharging. Now, does that sort of piss off those of us who chose to buy like a 90D and not a 100D because mm -hmm. I wanted supercharger for life. Yeah, it does. I, I would love to have an extra 40 miles or so of range. And and so I, I am a little disappointed. But again, we have, uh, you know, we have love for Tesla and we are supporters. Yes. But does this mean um, that you can buy 
a Tesla right now without a referral code and not get supercharging for life. But if you buy it with a referral code, you do get supercharging for life. Yes. So if somebody just walked into the store or unaware of any of this, put their money down and bought a Tesla at the end, they would not have supercharging for life. This seems to be going to get them in an enormous amount of hurt. This... If I went and bought a Tesla, I'd just like, oh, I've got 100 grand in my pocket. And I go down to the mall and I buy a Tesla. And then I find out later on that if I had have got a thousand bucks off by just asking Robert for his referral code and I would have supercharged for life, I'd be massively pissed. Hmm. I think that this has not been thought through. This is, you know, this is turning us into class, class warfare. Class action. Oh, no. I don't, I don't get this. I think that this is a mistake. And although. Uh, I get the idea that they really want to push the referral program. Nobody sells a Tesla better than a Tesla owner. Um, I think this could result in some problems. And already a number of people have been losing the plot about it. People like you and me that bought their Teslas in the last few months have already saying, what the what the what? Well, there's always plenty to complain about. I've got a PhD in complaining. That's what my wife tells me. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, it's reality. Uh, Tesla is going to tweak the system all along. They're going to continue to upgrade the cars, even though Tesla or Elon said that current Teslas are autopilot, whatever, version generation four, that they won't get any better. They will. They're going to do something different. The roof is going to completely come off. You're going to have an absolute convertible. There's going to be changes that are going to piss any one of us off. And the bottom line is you have a great car. It's better than any car on the road. And if you're waiting for your Model 3, it's going to be a fantastic car. It's not going to be a Model S or an X, but it's going to be a fantastic car. And and you'll put up with it. You know, this is how the future goes. Your, your phone, how, how long does it take for your phone to be outdated there? Uh, 3.7 seconds after yeah. I get it. Exactly. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the other things that, with this referral system, just a summary. So if you do one qualifying referral, then you can get a Founders Series uh, model S for kids. This is this little tiny um, S that you That's drive That's pretty around. impressive. That's like a $500 yeah. car. And it looks pretty cool. It's a lithium-ion battery the kids can drive around. In. If you get two referrals, you get early access to the solar roof. If you get three referrals, you get these 21-inch arachnid wheels. Four referrals, you can get a Powerwall 2, which is not an insignificant amount of cash. They're like $5,000, $6,000. If you get five referrals, you get lots of stuff. Plus, you get to go to the semi- event, unveil event, which is in September. That's what we really want to do. And uh, and there's some other stuff in there as well. So uh, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Use that referral code. I guess that's the point. Use that referral code. Push your referral code. Give out your referral code. Get people into Teslas. Do it. Do it. Do I guess it. if you're angry, you can talk to Troy Jones. He's the director for California and Hawaii who sent me the email that this was changing. So uh, let's talk about uh, the stock. Let's get into it really early. Here we go. Hey, Google. What is Tesla's stock price? As of 11.32 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time today, the price for Tesla stock is $308.87 on NASDAQ, down 0.63% from last Friday. Which is not bad considering the stock markets took a big dump last week. Yeah, I forget. I don't really follow the stock market very well, but I did hear that it went down and Tesla stock peaked at around 325 and now it's at 308. (gasps) It's a correction. Who would have thought over 300, even in the last six months? I mean, that's, well, you're thinking 700, right? I'm thinking uh, over 1,000, but that's me, but I'm no stock picker. Actually, uh, Elon last week said uh, he believes that the stock uh, valuation is uh, overheated. Um, there was a number that somebody uh, published, which is GM, which makes lots and lots of cars. Basically, their stock is valued at $6,000 per car, and 
Tesla, which doesn't make very many cows, is valued at something like $700,000 per cow. (laughs) So overheated, yes, but this is all about future growth. And Tesla energy. Now, speaking of big car manufacturers, Toyota and EVs, another story from Electric. Now, Toyota is, until recently, the world's biggest car manufacturer, um, and it still vies for that every other month or so. And they led the world with a Prius, which was sort of the environmentally sound car for the last sort of 20 years. But they've really fallen behind on EVs. They said, no, no, EVs are silly. We're going to do just uh, hybrids or we're going to do hydrogen hydrogen cars, which they seem to have realized is not so bueno. And uh, recently, though, they've said, look, we want to be more like Tesla. We want to be more like Tesla in particular with connectivity. The fact that uh, Teslas get better all the time with software upgrades is something that we at Toyota really want to do. And when it comes to electric vehicles, they say there's no reason that a Yaris can't be as fast and as zippy and as great as a really high-end car, and they want to sell cars that people love. Have you ever met a Tesla owner that did not, when you ask them, what do you think of your car? They don't say, it's a nice car. It's a good car. Every single Tesla owner that I know says, I love this car. Now, they may follow on like I do. I love this car, except those stupid effing wing doors. (laughs) But it always starts with much love, much love. Yeah, I mean, people are super tolerant of Tesla because it is such a great product. I have a hard time imagining uh, Toyota like that. Although, you know, I drove Toyotas for many years because I just totally gave up on American cars. And I think they're good, solid cars. If they could take it to the next level with electric powertrains that don't need, you know, uh, oil change every 3,000 miles, don't need all this other nonsense that goes on, and they can do it with their high-quality manufacturing, that they could definitely... They could definitely maintain their high standings. They said that uh, basically a Tesla is like driving an iPod. That's how I felt when I got my first Leaf about six years ago. I felt like I was driving an iPod. It was slick and zippy and smooth edges and it just seemed like, wow, this is I'm in the future. Tesla is that now. And I agree with you. If Toyota can bring its vast manufacturing capacity, its really spectacular ability to create cars that don't break down, right. slap EVs in them, then... Uh, this is a major game changer, and this is exactly why Tesla was created, to accelerate sustainable transport and energy. And you're going to need somebody as big as Toyota to hop on board. Yeah, and I wonder where they're at with autonomous, uh, because that would be a major, major step that I, I have to believe they're doing it, because they could do it. So they, you know, all it takes is for these big car manufacturers, Volkswagen, Nissan, Toyota, to flip and go to EV, go to autonomy. And man, this transition is really going to go rocket fast. And that's that's Elon's goal. Rocket fast, Elon? Rocket fast. <laughs> like, yeah, even the, uh, even the uh, Hyperloop. And Volvo even gave a big shout out to Tesla in a related story. They said that they've just designed their, quote, last, uh, actually, I shouldn't put it in quotes because this is my understanding. They designed their last version of diesel engine. They realized and said that diesel engines aren't so good. Uh, It's been coming out more and more that diesel engines are not clean, even though we've been, you know, sort of skewed to thinking clean diesel, whatever, that they're not clean, that they're uh, just they're going to go away with diesel. They're done with diesel. So this last engine is it. And after this engine series is done in 2023, they're going electric. And Europe, evidently, in this electric article said that uh, powertrains are going to have to include electricity after 2020. 
That doesn't mean all electric battery electric vehicles. It means something like a battery backup hybrid or you know or supplemented hybrid. Yeah, this、um, flew under the radar a little bit, but that's a major announcement from、uh, Volvo to say we're done with diesel for all of those reasons that you said. Because mostly, well, in large part, they see the future.、They're, and we've got another couple of articles coming that the transportation is going to become electric for a whole bunch of good reasons. And I really believe that Tesla accelerated this probably by at least a decade. And so, if you're on autopilot right now, you can reach over. Pat yourself on the back. back for being part of that revolution. Let's talk about Gigafactory Two because Gigafactory Two is ready for production of the solar products、uh, this summer. I get giddy whenever we talk about Gigafactories. There's so many of them. This is from Teslarati. We love those guys. Riverbend, New York, Gigafactory Two. So、uh, this summer starts its traditional solar panel production. So these are the, the really low-profile, beautiful-looking ultra-black、uh, solar panels that are going to start. And then later they're going to start the solar roof. Remember that the solar roof initially is being built here in California、right. at the Solyndra plant that we talked about. Only Californians initially are going to be able to get it.、Um, and the solar roof, which I have got my thousand dollars down on. Is expensive though. Let's be very clear. This will be the、yeah. third week that I've spoken about. This solar roof is very expensive, and now Consumer Reports and other people are doing their、uh, reviews of, of the math that Tesla used,、um, and they do say the same thing. This is a much more expensive roof than a standard roof, and you might be better off getting a cheap standard roof and slapping on just solar panels, Tesla panels. But the solar roof that will be coming from Gigafactory Two later in the year has a thirty-year.、Um, Lifespan, I guarantee. So a long, long lifespan on these things. Probably for you and I, Robert, if we get one of these, it'll be the last roof we ever have. Wouldn't that be nice? It will be nice if it doesn't leak. I've had a lot of leaky roofs in my、right. life, and I'm done with the leaky roofs. Well, you know, water does just roll off gloss. I should say gloss, 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 very easily. This is great because it really does. Uh, push us to change our paradigm. I'm thinking about my car, right? The only reason I bought a new Tesla, I went from generation one to generation four, is because I wanted all the autopilot features because I could really use that. The, it was a great car. I still kind of get in the old car once in a while when I have to move it around, or it's the one that's available. It's all charged. The other one isn't, and I still love, absolutely love to drive generation one Tesla. But this is. The change of the paradigm of planned obsolescence,、mm-hmm. right? You used to buy a car, and you'd be like, "Well, you know, it's a it's an okay car, but you know, I know in a few years I'm going to have another car because this one's going to get old, miles breakdown, crash, whatever." But with Tesla, with the way the batteries are are lasting, you can own a Model S for 15 years. Driving at regular rates and not have any problems—it's like the seats are going to be your problem, if anything, because they're going to sit, they're going to wear out from your butt. Here we've got the same thing with roofs. How much less crap is going to go to the, to the the whatever the dump, the landfill, the landfill? How much less roof products are going to go to the landfill? Amazing. So this is like a huge change. We don't see it yet, but it's going to come into the consciousness of not only Tesla Nation but the world that we don't need to throw so much crap away. Think about this. So your son, my son are about the same age. Sort of, you know, end of high school, going off to college. They'll buy a house in, let's say, four years if they're lucky. Or、uh, they could have a roof that lasts pretty much the entire lifespan for them. Yeah. I mean, we think these roofs. Could literally last for fifty years. Yeah. So you could live in a house 
and it could make electricity. Now, maybe it's not going to make it at fully 100% the same of day one, but there's no reason that that roof couldn't last forever, basically, forever in your lifetime. And these panels making electricity for 30 years guaranteed versus the majority of solar panels that you put on your roof, 20 years. So a 50% increase in the longevity of electricity production, again, increasing the lifespan and the the usability. So I think this is really great. What I feel bad for are the insurance companies that either are looking at insuring the Tesla roof or working with Elon, who's now making these promises, right? Because how is Elon going to pay for the roof that doesn't produce electricity in 28 years at the rate that he, quote, guarantees? There's a lot of issues with uh, insurance. And uh, I don't know, I just... The paradigms are all changing here. I got to tell you, I'm a bit of a geek, and most people who listen to the show probably are geeks. But every time I walk past my house, and I do a lot of walking, and I see the solar panels out there, I'm continually stunned that really light is going onto those panels, being turned into electricity, which is running my fridge and my car and my microwave, just from the light from the sun from uh, 93 million miles away. Amazing. It freaks me out. Amazing. And when you think about it like that and how clean it is, like this movement to solar energy is so obvious and so right and so clean and so renewable. So why aren't there panels on all the other houses in your neighborhood? Well, I think it's coming because of the drop in the price. There's so much to talk about here. Let's talk from Clean Technica, which sort of takes this idea and goes further. So this is a report from actually the Financial Times. So the Financial Times here in the U.S. is actually a global publication, is a very well-respected business newspaper. This is not fake news. And in this article, they basically say the 21st century is the end of fossil fuels. Couldn't have happened. I wish it had happened last century. Standing ovation. Um, Bill McKibben, who is a very famous environmentalist whose uh, latest book is called Oil and Honey, said, you know, it is the uh, century where we'll stop using fossil fuels and we better because it's estimated that there are 3,000 gigatons, not S-tons, not F-tons, but gigatons. Gigatons. Of fossil fuel that are available, which is about five times as much uh, carbon as is required to completely destroy the planet. His point is that if we dig all this stuff up, and there is a financial incentive to do so, because that represents in today's dollars, 27 trillion, trillion with a T dollars. If we dig all that up and burn it, the planet will be Venus. It will just, it cannot take that much carbon being put into the air. In fact, we can only, and it's again estimate, this is difficult science, put in about 565 gigatons more carbon into the environment before we get to that massive tipping point. We've already reached a multiple tipping points, but that tipping point where sea levels rise by at least 12 feet and traditional agriculture, as you know it, ends. So we have to move off fossil fuels. But the upside of this story is that the good news is that this is already happening. As you heard about Volvo, and he talks about sort of uh, these other companies that make turbocharged and stuff, there is no market for it anymore. Companies that are looking five years ahead are saying everything will be electrified. We don't really need a turbocharger that gets us another 20% or 30% mileage. It's just not good enough. This is not where cars are going. So I really found this to be exceptionally helpful. It's awesome. That's actually a three with 12 zeros after it. That's a lot. That is a lot of trillions. Now, the Koch brothers would like all those $27 trillion, and uh, they are soulless, and we should not let that happen. Now, one of the other things that was in this article that I found very interesting is that they estimate battery production by 2020. And they said that there's this other company called uh, CATL. 
that actually will be the world's biggest battery manufacturer, making about 50 gigawatts a year, and Tesla will be making 35. But I think this is an incorrect statement on their part, because Tesla has suggested that they'll be doing at least 100 gigawatts a year in batteries, gigawatt hours in battery, uh, and maybe significantly higher that. That's out of just the one Gigafactory one. Yeah. So hopefully there'll be more gigafactories. I love this quote. Fossil fuels have lost, but the rest of the world just doesn't know it yet. And that reminded me of a quote by William Gibson. He was a a poet writer, wrote about the future and such. And he said, uh, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. So we are, we are here in the future, which feels kind of cool. I like that. He had another quote that was really great. And I tell this uh, to young people. The future is not Googleable. Yeah, so I've heard that quote as well in a follow-up statement, and therefore that you can create the future. Yeah. It is not. It has not been created. You can create it. Which gives me the paradigm thought that the Koch brothers and other folks who just don't want to believe in the reality that is we are changing the planet, they're not going to be around when their solar roof you know, needs to be replaced. I think we need to really listen a lot more to young people because they're the ones who are inheriting this mess. So China completes its largest floating solar power plant. This is so cool. This is from PV Tech, and uh, it is pretty amazing. So this is the world's largest solar farm. We started hearing about these, well, I started hearing about them sort of a year ago, which is the idea is you've got this big body of water, and maybe you're using it for drinking water. One of the problems that you have with a big body of water sitting out there with the sun beating down on it is it evaporates away. It's very inefficient. You're losing your water. So what the DDWP does here and a lot of other places do as well, they throw out these little black balls that they put on the top of the water and it does two things. It reduces the amount of evaporation and it also stops the birds and stuff landing on the water. Well, some people put two and two together and said, you know what's really good to make solar panels work is a little bit of cooling. So they're putting solar panels over the top of these big bodies of water, reducing the amount of evaporation, at the same time cooling the solar panels, which increases their efficiency. So this is a 40 megawatt installation, which is actually on top of an old mining region which got flooded and now is producing energy from solar panels. All of that is good. It's not even very deep. They say four to 10 meters. When I first clicked on this article and I looked at the picture, it took my breath away. I totally recommend you look at it. In fact, I think we should have a version. We need to have somebody write us some software. So while you're listening to Talking Tesla in the car, you can tap a button and those pictures go down to your, your phone and you can look at them when you get out of the car. Or it goes to the to the big uh, touch screen in the middle. That would be really sweet. Because you're, you know, you're going to be driving autonomously, so you can look at it. Right, and you want to see, like, what are they talking about? And furthermore, let's talk about Lego. Who doesn't like Lego? Tell me one person who doesn't like Lego. You know, when I was growing up, I was not into Legos. What? And then my son turned, like, I don't know, three or four. I became a Lego fanatic. We went to Legoland. I don't know. I've been there 10, 12 times. Legos are so cool, but... They are made from fossil fuels. They are. But Lego, who has been given a really hard time about the fact that they're made out of fossil fuels, in this article from Treehugger, has said, you know what, we plan to become a 100% renewable company by 2020. That magic year. The magic year. Wow. But guess what? They just did it three years ahead of schedule. And they've done this through uh, investments into green technology, into wind, into solar and other things. So now they say if our, we look at our total energy use to create Legos, to send them out, to run the factories, to uh, pay the people, they have now reached 100% renewability and they're going to continue. And you just hear these stories more and more and more. 
we get depressed about the current state of the political environment and the lack of movement and actually the regressive movement. Let's do more coal. Let's do more oil. But companies and businesses and individuals and cities are saying, no, this is not okay. We want clean air. We want clean water. We want clean, renewable sunlight and wind. And people are doing it. So good on your Lego. Go buy another bag of Legos. Well, at least after they've stopped making them out of fossil fuels. But, the, you know, this 2020 thing reminds me, I'm now deciding that we need to take all those people who are working for Talking Tesla, all those staff members over there yes. in the other room. Yes. Yeah. And we're going to have them collate all of the promises of 2020. <laughs> and we're going to have a New Year's party to ring in 2020. And we're going to see, or maybe we should do it at 2021, see which promises happened and which promises didn't. It would be fun to actually do that and do a live show because, as we've said so many times and you're bored with it, 2020 is just far enough away that people are not going to remember it. Right. But close enough for people to go, ooh, oh, everything's going to be great in 2020. We're going to call it the holding your feet to the fire New Year's Eve bash. So all of that is good news, but you've got some bad news about the permafrost, which by its name mm. suggests that it's permanent, but unfortunately it's not. Permanently frosty, like I wish my shake was. But it's not. I got this article and I thought, what? So in Sweden, in a very far north island, they dug into the ground where it's really cold. Something like, I don't know, minus 18 degrees. I remember this number. And they they started to stash seeds. Seeds for all the crops grown on the planet. Seeds for all kinds of things in case there was some extinction event, some major event or major die-off. They're thinking ahead. And in these sealed plastic crates, they have thousands and thousands of species saved. And this thing was considered the sort of like repository of saving humanity. So in other words, if in a thousand years, Mars is habitable and it's green and it's lush, we can pull seeds from there and grow corn or quinoa or whatever. And so the problem that happened this year is that there was such a heat wave in the Arctic, the, the snow not only melt, there was no snow but rain and the permafrost started to thaw. And all of this combined to create an enormous amount of water, which actually got into the seed vault. Oh, no. Standing water. It didn't actually damage the seeds, but this was like an unthinkable event. And it just shows you that, you know, things are changing. And even with the best of plans, we may be screwed. This uh, melting of the permafrost is a very bad thing because it potentially reaches a world-changing amount of methane. Yeah. And so even now you can go on YouTube and you can go up, you know, in Russia and far north Russia. Um, you can smack through the ice and then they light it with a cigarette lighter because there's so much methane under there from the rotted material from millennium ago. And it's being kept at bay because of the permafrost. But if that melts, all that goes into the air and that is a very bad thing. So hold your <sighs> breath. Go Lego. Make more Legos. Right. Let's talk about superchargers because, you know, Oof. there's a lot of superchargers coming. But are they here yet, Robert? Exciting news. You know, so Tesla said they're going to double the superchargers. We looked at the map last week or the week before. Lots of gray little um, icons of all the superchargers that are coming later, soon, 2017. 2020. We don't know. But I went to the Culver City Supercharger last week to, I think, uh, oh, that's right. I had to take the car into the service. Oh, did, did you get a 100? Did no. You? I just sat there for 15 minutes. They had to replace the molding in the, one of the back windows because oh. it, it just started popping out. 
The back window was popping out? The back window molding was popping out. That's upsetting. And it was like I wanted to take the car in for a wash, and I thought, well, this wouldn't be a good idea. All this water going into the door, I think I'll go down to the service center. So I called them. They were like, sure, no problem. Come on in. I went in. The guy looked at it. He says, okay, it'll take me about 15 minutes. So I'm waiting, and then he comes up to me, and he says, uh, by the way, would you like it washed? And I was thinking – well, that's what I was going to do. I said, sure. So that, that took actually a little while longer. But I sat there using the Wi-Fi code, doing some stuff, and um, all better. Then I had to go charge up because I lost some of my day, etc. And while I'm there, I notice a lot of fencing and a lot of guys. There were like six guys doing work at the Culver City Supercharger. One dude was taking the Supercharger pillar post bollards apart. And I'm looking inside at all these wires and stuff. And I thought, this is cool. Can I take a picture? He said, no. Supercharger 3.0. The Supercharger is secret. So he put on this cover and then you saw like these LED lights. And I thought, can I take a picture of that? He goes, yeah, that's okay. (laughs) So I took a picture of that and sent it out. It's really sweet. It's on my Twitter feed. And then... I note I went back and looked at the other part and they're adding four spaces. So Culver City's going from twelve to sixteen spaces. Mm-hmm. And I said, Why only four? And they said, Well, the the you know, mall people don't want us taking more parking spaces. And I thought, that makes no sense. People who drive Teslas have a lot of cash. And they have to wait half an hour while they're charging up and they're gonna go spend that cash. Right. And during the shopping season, this mall will put a valet out who will take your car to the supercharger and pull it off the supercharger while you're in the mall spending your hard-earned money. And so I ended up calling the mall and talking to somebody there. You know how many spaces they have in Culver City? Uh, I'm going to guess 4,000 just off the top of my head. Exactly. Wow, look at that. it's 4,000 minus, you know, now 16 16. spaces. But there's a whole row next to the Culver City supercharger that's not used by Tesla that could be like another 15 superchargers. So... Is this on? (laughs) Hello? Tesla supercharger team? I think you're going to need a lot more spaces in Culver City unless you find somewhere else nearby that's convenient to the 405 freeway. And so I was down in Oxnard as well and got uh, a note from a dude named, or maybe a woman, Archer. I don't know. Archer, it's man or woman. But they're telling about the fencing is up. They're going to expand maybe by 10 spaces. That seems a little bit generous, but we'll see. I'll be down in uh, Oxnard today. I'll find out later. But this is a way that the supercharger network is growing, which is fantastic, except it's not going to show up on my radar unless people let us know about it because it's filtering you know, here and there, little bits leaking here, little bits there. There's something going on in Switzerland. You know, a couple of articles, I think Electric is even, or maybe it was Tesla Roddy was reporting on it. But the bottom line is, send me a tweet if you're uh, noticing there's construction at your supercharger. And uh, I'd like to let people know that the network is growing. And we have news of four new superchargers open this week. Yes. There's uh, like three that went into construction, two got permitted, but the ones that are opening are in Bratislava, Slovakia. Excellent. Yeah. So it says it says still on the Tesla website that it's coming soon, but I have uh, word here that it is actually open. And this is near Austria and Hungary. It's a beautiful place. There's an old town there, but you're not going to be able to take your Tesla because it's pedestrian only. Mm, even better. Little Rock, Arkansas is getting 10 stalls. And what's important about this? First supercharger open in Arkansas. What, what? And if you look at the map, there's going to be five more coming soon. So that's pretty sweet. Uh, that's where the World Taekwondo Championship is held. 
Now, there's some trivia that you don't hear every day. No, but I'm sure there's a talking Tesla listener who's into Taekwondo. So good on you. You can charge your car when you're down there competing. Wilmington, North Carolina, they're getting 10 stalls. Notice that all of these superchargers are pretty large, eight and above these new ones that are opening. It used to be that they would be four plugs or six plugs. So Tesla's you know, already here going large, and hopefully they've already sort of built in some expansion uh, capabilities to all these new superchargers. And then, uh, so that was North Carolina, Flatonia, Texas. Very flat there. It is very flat there. So you could probably get a lot farther on one charge. But this sits between Houston and San Antonio, and it's notable to be a truck stop. So it's not like a mall. It's not like a eatery area. It's just a truck stop. And then one day you're going to park there with your Model Y next to the Tesla Semi right. while looking at version 3.0 of the X Ooh. in this future that is 2020. And, and But it's all going to be pickup trucks, Tesla pickup trucks. Oh, yeah. That's right. I forgot. It's and, Texas. And it'll be pickup trucks everywhere. Which is great. I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking forward. I'm starting to get like kind of amped up to get a Tesla pickup truck. Now, let's talk about SpaceX, shall we? And this is a really interesting article. The, when I first read it, I'm like, that is crazy. And then yeah. I thought, hang on a second. I actually like this idea. I know. I thought, I kind of want to be shot into space. So this one is from Live Science, and there's also one from Teslarati, which is there is this company, and they are called Elysium Space. And what they are going to do here is that they take a little bit of your remains. Robert, sadly, uh, you don't live forever and you die. And uh, we sort of fry you. We uh, turn you into ashes. Yes. And your loved ones say, oh, Robert, he was such a geek. He was into space and electric cars and stuff. Why don't we take a portion of Robert's ashes? They don't say how much, but I think it's a very small portion of I saw the box. The box is small. It's about uh, one and a half inches. It's a one and a half inch cube. One and a half inch cube. Okay, so then they take this and then they take it down to uh, the space station. And uh, they put it on a SpaceX rocket, and they put it in this big capsule, and they fire the little Robert into space. And then what Robert's going to do for the next two years with his friends is fly around the world. In fact, they say they'll be flying over pretty much every part of the planet. And at the end of that two years, because it's got a degrading orbit, it will come back into the Earth's atmosphere as a shooting star. The cost for your relatives to do this, $2,500 for the base package. It's kind of... uh, of like romantic almost it's it's a great send-off it sounds really cool i like it it's about a hand's worth of robert maybe a bit of the forearm will fit in this little cube and this is called a micro satellite uh it's real or maybe it was a nano satellite it's just a cool idea they show the box in which your remains go in they show the box in which all the remains are packed in and this is going to go on a spacex rocket next year to be launched along with a bunch of other stuff uh, from Vandenberg Air Force Base. Yeah, I read that it was actually going out in the second half of this year and then another report said next year. But at first I thought, you know, this is insane. But actually, I love that. I I love the thought that after I die, I'm going on a little space flight and come back as a shooting star. There's only one downside I see to this. It's not the cost. It's not too much because the average uh, crematorium services here in the United States is $9,000. So this isn't bad. I mean, this is an additional cost. But the biggest problem is the carbon footprint. Your final act as matter in the planet 
is to increase your carbon footprint. It's kind of giving a <laughs> finger to the environment. Like, I'm getting the F out of here. And uh, But I don't know how much kerosene it takes to launch that small amount of meat in a box. Right, it's a, probably not that much. Hopefully, they'll have a, you can buy carbon offsets when that I send would, Robert into space. Yeah, that would be great. So they also have their next enterprise. Aha. Uh-huh. Getting is, this? Is a lunar memorial for $10,000. So you could end up, you know, scattered on the moon. Which was the Star Trek movie where Spock dies and gets fired into this new planet in a little capsule, and then that planet gets terraformed, and then Spock comes back to life? That was a brilliant, I love brilliant plot because I didn't see it coming. But then, you know, I haven't read that much science fiction, but I should have known that that was happening. Let's uh, talk about the Boring Company. So the Boring Company's got its Mm. website up, and Tesserati noticed on their frequently asked uh, questions section that, uh, you know, they're going to create this large network of tunnels, blah, 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 blah. But people have been asking, I wonder if uh, we could sort of use this to hyperloop things. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, yes, you can. Yeah, very So much. there's a lot of really interesting information about um, what they plan for the Boring Company. And so one of the other questions was, well, what about earthquakes? And we talked about this before, and they confirm it. So a number of geologists said actually uh, tunneling or being in a tunnel is probably safer than being on the top of the ground because the shear forces occur at the top, not so much underground. So if you are going to be in an earthquake, it's probably better to be in a boring tunnel than on a boring freeway. Having said that, I would be extremely anxious to be going at 125 miles an hour in a boring uh, tunnel during an earthquake. Yeah, that might be a little bit disconcerting. But the question I had was shearing forces. So if you look at some of these big earthquakes, like the Alaska earthquake, you see like roads that have separated by multiple feet and or shifted and lifted by tens of feet, and it's really scary. So if this tunnel is, you know, 40 feet or 50, I think it was 48 feet or deeper, that's what he was aiming for, so that you don't feel it on the surface, you don't feel the digging of the tunnel on the surface. If it's 48 feet down, what are the shear forces down there? And how could the tunnel be affected if you're, you know, speeding along, there's an earthquake, and all of a sudden your tunnel is not a tunnel anymore? Well, again, they specifically say, and others have said, it's much less, it moves more like a liquid. So if there's some flexibility, it is significantly safer than being on that freeway doing 75 miles an hour and the freeway disappears and drops 11 feet. Like happened on that bridge, the yeah, Bay here, Bridge. Yeah, and it happened here in Los Angeles the last time we had a big earthquake, which scared the hell out of me more than 20 years ago. And we had you know sections of freeway fall down and cars just kept driving and, and people died. So, But we have to remember that <gasps> of all the people driving... Of all the years from one earthquake to the next, that is an infinitesimal small amount. So it sounds really horrible, really gets our attention, but it isn't really, uh, I guess, it's significant if it's you or if it's your mother. Yes. But in the big picture, should that hold us from pushing progress forward? And I say not. The question is, what do you do with all that stuff you're digging out? And so they were talking about this and the article mentions that you could do something with it, like make something with it. And I found this article on Engadget about Mars-like soil makes super strong bricks when compressed. Legos. You may be Legos. And so the Martian soil has a lot of iron in it. That's why 
Mars is red. Red. Yeah. Okay. Good. So if you use a big force and you smash it together, that you could make bricks that are really, really durable. And they've done this experiment here, not on Mars, obviously. I wonder what would this brick look like if we used the uh, subterranean Los Angeles soil? Yeah, so that's what all this is about, and it sort of comes together. So you've got – you dig a big hole, there's lots of dirt, and uh, they're saying you can make bricks out of it. That article from Engadget said you can do the same thing on Mars. And this is if we go back in time, what uh, did Elon say about what's going to happen on Mars? That probably you're going to have to dig series of tunnels on Mars to survive as part of your sort of colonization there. So all of this comes together. He's practicing on Earth, digging holes learning how to do it really fast, learning how to make bricks. And this will also uh, theoretically be used when uh, he gets to Mars. Now, I know that some people are going to say this is all fairy tale land, but uh, I believe that this guy makes fairy tales happen. So it's exciting to me. So that's, that's what true. you do with all the dirt that you dig up. And there's going to be a lot of it because, again, on the frequently asked uh, questions section, they talk about an almost infinite number of tunnels could be built underneath each other um, so that all of the transport needs – that we have could go underground. Now, uh, one of my favorite shows, The Tesla Show, mm. they talked about the boring company this week, and I thought they did a really good job. But uh, they also were a little bit concerned about sort of the renderings of how this would work didn't make sense. Having one car drop down and then another car drop down didn't make any sense. When you're in somebody like Los Angeles with so many cars, you need some mass way of getting these cars into the tunnels. And I thought that was actually fairly insightful. You basically just need a giant pit and you drive all the cars off and it goes into the boring holes. One at a time doesn't seem fast enough. Yeah, I don't know how much Elon and or his team have done research into traffic pattern flows and where the traffic bottlenecks and what are the future needs and trends for traffic with autonomous vehicles. But I imagine they've gave it a good amount of thought, and I, I'm, I'm excited about this, very excited. Now, you've got another article here that's really interesting. If we're talking about Mars and we're talking about digging holes and transportation for Mars, transportation bricks. for Earth, making bricks, how are you going to do all this, and could you have my little hut ready by the time I get there? How could I possibly get this done, Robert? Yeah, so this is a great article from The Verge. I've been holding back for a couple of weeks because we've been so busy, but I encourage you to look at the video because basically it shows a autonomous robot building a hut over time. It's a time-lapse video, and I think it's using foam or something just to make a demonstration. But what materials they use is irrelevant. It's then they were able to basically do a 3D printing-like program on a very large scale. And this research is exciting, really exciting, and definitely feeds into this idea of building uh, on other planets so that when we get there, the moon, Mars, Neptune's moon, whatever, that we actually have a structure that's ready to go. And all we have to do is populate it and plug things in and make a few decisions and boom, we're up and running. This thing is a giant 3D printer. Yeah. And it spins around and it spins around and it builds a giant structure. And I think this was like the biggest 3D printed object in history to date. You watch how quickly this gets broken by the next group and by the next group and by the next group. But, you know, this is sort of the stuff of science fiction. Sometime in the 100 years from now, robots will build the structures and then the humans will come and live on them. And this stuff is happening now. I'm going to give a shout out to MIT. It was their team that built this. And if I had the choice, maybe I should anyway, I'd go back and get an engineering degree at MIT. That place is so cool. Yeah, it's a little hard to get into, I hear. Is it? Yeah. Well, you no, know, I have I have a big fantasy problem. 
Uh-huh. I'm here. It's obvious. <laughs> My uh, son is, uh, wants to go into engineering, so we looked at different engineering schools. He's like, boy, Caltech, MIT, I'd love to go there. And then he goes to the website and then he starts to become ashen. Yeah. And I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, do you realize the average SAT scores and GPAs of the kids getting into these schools? I'm like, hi. <laughs> yeah, but now they're not going to – many of them aren't going to be able to come here because they're not going to get visas because we don't want them foreigners here. But we do. I we, know we, we do. We want the smart ones. Uh, we want to suck every smart person here, give them money, get them to create, and push the planet towards health. We're moving along very well here. Um, so let's do an app and a media, and then we'll get into letters. The letters are pretty dense and deep this week. So uh, my – app of the week is Duolingo. I love Duolingo. It's free. It actually came out of Carnegie Mellon's language program. Oh, really? And uh, it is a free program and you get to learn one of many different languages. Right. And it's sort of a question answer format. It's very well done. Right now it's free. They've got a lot of funding. The idea is that what will happen in the future is this will make money by the fact that so many people will be on this app that they can then start throwing language translation pieces where you'll practice your Spanish by, you know, what does this say? And enough people will be doing this at the same time that they'll basically be able to um, translate incredibly accurately like the entire internet into a new uh, language. If you watch the TED Talk, it explains how all that works. But it's actually the same group that came up with captures and recaptures. You know what those things are? When you go on a website... And you fill out all the stuff and it wants to make sure you're not a robot. It'll have some squiggly lines and a two and an F and a six and a three. It's the same group. And the guy that is the head of that group makes uh, some fun of himself. It's like, if you hate those things, I'm sorry. We made those. Yeah. And they use them to like decipher addresses and all sorts of text that is not easy for computers to decipher. They use you as the decipherer. And then it becomes part of a security feature. And so Duolingo, D-U-O-L-I-N-G-O, just like two Duo, lingo. Two, two lingos. My son was using that for Spanish for like four years, and, uh, and he enjoyed it. And it really had a good benefit. I, I played with it, too. Definitely give it a thumbs up. My app of the week is I had um, a couple of apps planned, but then I saw this article on Wired.com. It's called Watch People with Accents Confuse the Hell Out of AI Assistants. And I watched this last night and I almost peed on myself. <laughs> it is so funny. They have a woman who speaks Scottish and she speaks and they say, turn it up. And she speaks like such incredibly like dense Scottish, but she's speaking English, right? Not any other language and i could barely understand her and the google home did great it did yeah that's funny what's the birthday of benedict cumberbatch <laughs> and they just screw it up in so many ways and the google did great it beat alexa it beat siri siri was actually pretty good on this really yeah i know i know so anyway you got to see this just go to the show notes and watch this little video or or look it up online it's it's a Gut buster. My media pick, did you do a media pick? No, my media pick was going to be Pod Save America, which I'm really enjoying. Uh, those guys are funny. They're former speechwriters for o Obama. And um, they have been speaking to a lot of mayors recently across the country. About What's that? Mayors? Mayors. Like, like horses? Not horses, but people that run cities. And uh, it's, it's just interesting to hear that uh, these men and women are out there trying to do what – the federal and states can't do with as much flexibility, which is sort of 100% renewable. And what's your plan for uh, mass transport? And a lot of uh, big cities are really moving forward and they're basically ignoring um, sort of the political uh, discourse that's going on federally and just saying, no, we're going to have more – 
parks. We're going to have more public transport. We're going to have more sustainable energy because it's good for our people and that's healthy. So we're doing it. Yeah, it's kind of where the rubber meets the road. Is at the level of the mayors? At the mayors. <laughs> My media pick, I stumbled upon this quite accidentally. My son is very much into uh, Christopher Nolan, who's a director. He did the Batman movie. He's done a lot of really cool movies. So we watched this, quote, old movie from 2006 called The Prestige. It's a British-American mystery thriller. It's about two rival magicians. One of them was um, Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. They both did a fantastic job. And it was a great movie, but there was a star. A star blew out in the middle of the movie. Like, all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my God. I have to talk about this on Talking Tesla. There was a character. Yes. Tesla. Nikola Tesla. That's right. Played by David Bowie. What the what? What? The late great? This is an absolute must. It's on Netflix. It's a great movie. It's got great plot twists. And I, you know, while we're watching it, the two of us are looking at each other like our mouths are open. (gasps) When we realize this has happened and that's going to happen. And it's just a really sweet movie. The Prestige. Yeah, i got to say, I love this movie when it came out. It came out at the same time as another movie about magic, which was also very good, very different. But it is definitely worth – I give it two thumbs up, Robert. I prestige. give it two thumbs up. So it's got four thumbs. And uh, I was watching Wolverine in another movie mm. called Logan. Oh, how was that? I really liked it. Oh, it's good. dark. Yeah. But it's good. Reminds me of, uh, you know, when I was talking about the Google Home. I really want to get the Google Home, but what's keeping me back yes. is – Having like Google in my home, listening like, to you, really in day. my home, and so there's a movie out called The Circle, and uh, it's with like Hermione and uh, Tom Hanks. Yes, and I really want to see it, even though it got panned by Rotten Tomatoes. But I think that all the people who voted it down did so because they were really afraid and very scared that this big overarching organization like a Google or an Apple, was going to kind of take over the world. Is that out now, The Circle? It is out right now. Because I was also interested in that. I have to see it. I've seen nothing as far as ads or anything, but I, I have a feeling this has the potential to be a real classic. Let's do some letters. Andy Kramer is our first one who links us to a blog called Do the Math, which is a physicist that does lots of math and interesting things. And uh, basically this physicist says, you know, you know we've got to get to fully sustainable – Um, energy, uh, renewable energy. But one of the things we have to do to get there is actually reduce the total amount of energy we use. You can do math and show that, you know, you can get there by using sunlight and stuff, but really you have to reduce the amount of energy you're using. And he says that that means a really a radical new way of thinking about how you live, particularly in the West. We get on an airplane and we go fly here. We drive long distances. We uh, order stuff from across the country to bring it to our house. All of this makes us very energy dense in terms of humans on the planet. At least here in the Western developed world. Right. And so, you know, this is sort of a radical thing for all of us to think more about living locally and buying locally and eating locally and traveling locally. This is where we sort of have to start thinking about we got to go. Yeah, this is that mantra, reduce, reuse, recycle. So, you know, recycling, that's at the end of the line. You really want to reduce in the first place. So like when you're doing your laundry, use the laundry line. I, I delight in taking my laundry and putting it on the line and like four or five hours later on a warm day having dry, crisp clothes. And I burnt no fossil fuels to dry those clothes. That. That's big. But also driving instead of flying, especially if you have a Tesla. 
So I'm going to go in June up to the factory again. Again. That's right. I'm going to get to go to the factory June, I think it's one, two, three, somewhere at the very beginning of June. So it's very soon. Right. I'll report back. And uh, that's because the to- Tesla Owners Club Leadership Conference, the first of its kind, is going to take place. So the leaders from the various sanctioned Tesla clubs are going to meet. I'm going to see people there from like Norway and Europe, and it's going to be a really cool get together sponsored by Tesla. And so we'll eat Tesla food. We'll meet Tesla people. Shardies. And maybe maybe we'll meet Tesla Model 3. I think you are going to because this is the same time that they're doing a Model 3 reveal event for special people. Wouldn't it be nice if I could go to both? I'm sure that you're going to see a Model 3, and I'm excited for it. Now, on this blog, I should say, look, we sort of uh, summarized there, but there's some really fun and interesting stuff about, you know, what's the miles per gallon of a human and stuff like this. Mm. Really fun and interesting math. So go check it out. Do the math. So thanks to Andy. Now, Alan Benson, uh, here's an article here from The Guardian <laughs> in Australia. And uh, I thought we actually talked about this, but let's go over it again. So you got Western Australia, right? Western Australia is very very remote. Most people live in eastern Australia. So as you go further up the coast on the west, so down the bottom is Perth. There's about a million people, lots of lithium, wow. hopefully a gigafactory. But as you go up the coast, it gets really remote. And the grid is a problem because there's not many people, huge distances. So the grid there has a problem and it goes out a lot. So what people have done, particularly in the last few years, given the fact that solar panels and batteries have come down in price, is that a lot of people are becoming increasingly grid independent. So they have their panels, they have big batteries, and that <laughs> when the l- everybody else's lights go out and their fridges turn off, these people can have cold beer. And you know what happens when you're Ooh. in Western Australia and you've got the cold beer? You become... The most loved person in the area. Yeah, the flies just come. So they, uh, the the people come over to your house and they drink the cold beer. And it's, it's just sort nature. of a fun and interesting little discussion about life in the middle of nowhere. And it's all about keeping the beer cold. You know, there's a few solar-powered breweries here in California. And so that would be a natural franchise to take to remote places. Solar-powered breweries. John Ford has a, a little... Uh, article here, which is about Babcock Ranch in Florida. This is a Florida town which is going 100% solar, and you can buy into this town, and everybody's got solar panels, and I think you're going to see more and more of this, this sort of sustainable, walkable, solar panel, energy-drivable communities. When I get old, Robert, and I retire, yes, that's where I want to go. I want to go to a place where the sun is running everything, and it is all good in the world. And then when I die... You can fire me in an aircraft and send me into space. <laughs> Only when I die, though, because I'm afraid to do it before him. Now, Stephen Peters wanted to do a follow-up on the high-amperage charger on the website. Now, remember, Stephen told us that the high-amperage charger had been taken away as an option on the 70, on the 90, and really only existed on the 100-kilowatt-hour uh, batteries on the S and the X. And uh, we said you get uh, high-amperage charging by having dual chargers. And he said, no, no. That is old school. That's what used to be in the cars, but now high amperage charging is a single charger. But the problem still is that they went from a 22 kilowatt charger down to only a 16.5 kilowatt charger. So you cannot charge the new cars as fast as you used to be able to charge the older cars with two um, chargers in them. And I asked myself, why? Why would they do this, Robert? I think it's because of battery longevity. 
Do you think it's that, um, yeah. that they just have some data that suggests that even own charging at one mile per minute of charging is a little bit too fast? And if you back it down a little bit, it makes the battery degradation less. And so they're not putting in as fast an AC charger? Yeah, I expect they probably have done a little tweaking of the system and found that, you know, batteries are not lasting as well. More cells are knocking out as as you uh, either supercharge more. So like people have reported, their supercharging rate has been limited after they reach a certain point. And in this respect, maybe it's the AC charging as well uh, is making a faster degradation than they would like to see on the batteries. So it's supposition on our part. We don't really know why this is, why this is happening, but the fast charging is only on the 100, at least as far as we can tell. There might be an Easter egg you could get in your 75 or your 90. And it's not quite as fast as it used to be. Most of the time, this is not a big issue because you plug in at night and it charges and you're fine. But um, just know that it's a little bit slower than it used to be. Now, speaking of charges, Dave and Jess are here in the studio getting ready for a big show that we're going to be doing on Friday. And Dave voxed me or Jess voxed me a couple of days ago and saying, hey, can we plug in the car at your place because there's something wrong with our charger? Mm. And I thought, yeah, sure, that's no problem. Um, but then he just did a reset, a reset of the charger, a Tesla charger. There's a little thing on the side. You hit reset and it resets it and it worked fine. And then the very next day, I went out to my car and when I plugged it in, instead of getting the nice green flashy ring that I'm charging my car, yeah. where you plug the car in. It wasn't red, I hope. It was red. Ooh. And then a note came up and said, there's something wrong with your charger. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's strange. And I went out and I hit reset because they told me that's what they did to this. And right. I hit reset and it worked fine. And I was wondering if you'd had that problem, was this sort of a software upgrade thing that made you have to reset your charger? Did you have this? I have not yet installed my Tesla charger. I'm still charging off of a dryer plug. Oh, so I wonder. So I can't report, but maybe the rest of Tesla Nation is experiencing this as we speak. Yeah, Tesla Nation. I don't know if it was just sort of by chance that both of our chargers needed to be reset. If you've got a Tesla charger and in the last few days have had to reset it, let us know because conspiracies abound. Now, we've got another letter here from Pat regarding solar shading. Now, you know that I've been saying over and over again, because I'm ignorant, that uh, if you've got a lot of shading or intermittent shading on your solar panels, you want to get a system with microinverters. So under each panel, you have a microinverter that turns the direct current into alternating current and then sends it down to your battery or sends it off into the grid. And if you don't have shading, then you can do use a string inverter. Well, Pat says, Mel, you're an ignorant because there's actually another way that you can get around this How problem. How don't you know this, Mel? It's called diode bypass because there's so much I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you said you, if you could retrain, you'd come back as an engineer. I yeah. would definitely do electrical engineering yeah. because I just find this stuff so fascinating. Even though I know absolutely nothing about it, boy, it would be fun to go and learn it. So uh, this thing called diode bypass. So what happens is if you've got a series of solar panels and they're in series, and this is best as I understand it, and Tesla Nation will tell me when I screwed up, you've got a series of panels and they're in series and they're all hooked up. Because of that, they have to have the same amount of current flowing through that whole thing. All in series, they have to have the same amount of current. So if you shade a panel, and you have one panel that's in bright light, what happens is the current actually flows from the one where there's lots of light into the shaded panel because it's all going to have the same amount of current. Yes. What happens, therefore, is that that panel now has to get rid of that excess electricity and it does it by heat, and these are called hot spots. This is very inefficient. You're losing a lot of energy. And so one way to fix that, as it was said with microinverters, but this diode bypass thing says we're smart. If this panel gets shaded, 
I'm going to allow the electrons to flow around and not into that panel. So this significantly reduces the amount of loss. And I guess Solar City is one group that actually does this as a routine. And this is fairly new because it reminds me that when um, Tom and I were talking about this a year or so ago, he actually asked the Solar City guy and they said, yeah, we've got this new special way of fixing shading. Right. And this is what it is. Again, I don't really understand well, the electrics here, but this is the basic concept. Why do you think Solar City would be using diodes instead of microinverters? Because they don't make microinverters? Because it's cheaper. Ah. And if you're going to put them on every single, you know, shingle of uh-huh. a house, you know, you want to make this thing, you don't want to make the, the solar glass roof a million dollars. You want to keep it down to 70000 or 50000 So I actually went to a solar panel list serve. Oh my gosh, you are ultra, geeking ultra out. Ultra geek. It's called Solar Panel Talk. And it turns out that diodes work as well as microinverters okay. and they are incredibly low price comparatively. So you've answered my question, which I had at the end here, which I haven't done the, the uh, research on, but you have, thank you, is like, which is cheaper? Which should I get? Yeah. And you're saying that this bypass diode is cheaper. That's the way to go. And works as well. Yeah. Well, that is fantastic. And what was that website? Because I need to go geek out. It's called solarpaneltalk.com. Wow. All right. I got to go check that out. So now you can waste another three hours of your week and basically not sleep. So Red Bull. we don't know, actually, again, with the solar roof, how it's going to work, how they're going to cluster these little tiny solar things. Are they going to have 10 that are on us the same string? Are they going to do bypass diodes? Are they going to do microbes? We don't know how they're going to do this stuff. And they're supposedly shipping the first sets in a few weeks. Right. But we've heard nothing. Are you getting the first set? Well, I've put in my $1,000. Okay. And uh, I have not heard – now. We're going to put them here in the studio, and this is sort of a new place, so we don't really have a lot of energy bills. And so when I first talked to Solar City, they said, well, wait a month or two so we can estimate what your energy requirements are, and we'll get back to you. So I expect to hear in a few weeks, but I will bug them if I start hearing that people are getting them installed and I have not heard. Well, I got an email from Gordon who was telling me some of the details. He actually didn't tell me a damn thing when I saw him last Tuesday night. He this is Gordy to, from Solar City. Yeah, Gordon from Solar City. He came to the to the Tesla Club. Uh, he gave a little talk about solar panels. Uh, you know, everybody was jazzed up. They're already pre-sold, right? Because they own Teslas. And uh, he didn't say one effing word about the solar roof. I go home. I wake up the next morning. Boom! Solar roof announcement. I'm like, what? I don't even get special treatment. What's going on here? Maybe but, he didn't know. Yeah. Everybody's got their nuts in a vice when it comes to information at Tesla and Solar City. So he said that, um, you know, obviously you have to put $1,000 down. He said that only in very select areas are they going to do any installing. So like California or places where they can get to it. So it's really kind of, I wouldn't say experimental, but it's very pre pre when you're going to get your first solar roofs on those houses. It has a lot to do with the jurisdiction. They think that there may be a one to two year delay before they're able to deploy the solar roof, like nationwide or even internationally. So everybody cool your jets 
or at least figure out we're going to try and figure out how we need to sort of impact our local governments so this thing you know can be coded so that it can be put on your house and it's not some like reinventing the wheel in every jurisdiction he said it's significantly more expensive than a standard roof which is you what you've been saying but compared to standard roof with traditional solar panels because it generates electricity and it's eligible for the federal tax credit the whole roof is eligible for the federal tax credit, that it'll save you money over 30 years. It looks incredibly cool, he said. I didn't get to go to that reveal for some reason. I can't remember why, but uh, I guess maybe, I wonder if you can go and see it up at Universal Studios, like pay a little extra and go see the solar roofs. Yeah, at Universal Studios, for those of you that haven't been there, um, they do a little uh, backlot tour. So you get on a little cart and they drive around and you see where they shot Psycho and, uh, you know, where they shot uh, lots of different movies. And maybe, yeah, if you slip the driver 10 bucks and you drop me off, I want to go check out the solar panels over there on the lane. Because they actually drive past where those houses are from Desperate Housewives or whatever it was called. Right. I wonder if they left them up there. Oh, they are. I believe they're still up there. Now, they, we know that they weren't plugged in. There was no circuitry behind right. them. It was just sort of the glass. Right. So it might be cheaper for you to put on a new asphalt roof and then just put on super sexy, low-profile, standard solar city Yeah, panels. it sort of depends on how long you're willing to wait. He says there's four questions you should ask yourself. Are you comfortable waiting potentially for a year or more before the solar roof is available? Do you plan on living in your home for more than 20 years? Are you willing to spend more money up front for this amazing technology. And can you afford to purchase the roof out of pocket? Because at the moment, uh, they don't have their financing set up. So if you're interested, you want more information, you should contact Gordon Welty. Tell him the Talking Tesla Show sent you. You know, uh, the one question in there that I find interesting is, you know, are you going to stay in your house for 20 years? And if you're not, then it might not be worth it to you. But um, it turns out that when you put solar panels on your house, your value of your house goes up by at least that amount. And in fact, in some studies, it goes up by significantly more than you spent on the solar panels. Because it's sexy. And it's done. So if you put $20,000 worth of solar panels on your house, at least in California, the data that I've seen is that you get that money back instantly in terms of your resale price. Because if you've got two houses next to each other, I believe this is how it goes. And they're both very lovely. And somebody's already got a whole bunch of solar panels up there that does lots of the energy or all of the energy for that house versus the house next door. Would you pay extra for that? And I say, yes, I would. I would too. Done. I don't have to have them come in and construct and dig holes in my roof. Yeah. And the person selling the house can show me their electric bills that are like $1.28. So these pay for themselves uh, pretty much instantly. But again, the solar roof versus a standard solar panel, you really need to stop and do the math on it unless you just want a beautiful roof. And then you can't beat it. So let's go on and talk with Patrick Reed here, who says that there is a raffle to raise funds for climate exchange. So in Massachusetts, they are trying to pass a carbon tax. And uh, a lot of people, and Elon included, really believes that this is an important tax. It's a fair tax and it can move sustainable energy forward. And so they're doing this raffle to help uh, fund this bill. You know, it takes a lot of money to get people on board here in the United States to get things passed. So they're doing a raffle. And what you usually do with a raffle was you'd say, okay, everybody, give us 250 bucks, and you will win a Tesla Model S, a decked-out Tesla Model S. That would be great. The unfortunate thing here in the United States is that if you won that Tesla, you would then have to pay the tax on that Tesla, which could be, depending on your tax bracket, 25 30 35%, something enormous. So you get a gift – but now you have to pay the feds 
$25,000. So they've done this thing a little differently, saying we're going to auction off or we're going to raffle off a Tesla Model S, but we're actually going to do it as a car, as a cash. So you're going to get $120,000. So then you can buy your $100,000 Tesla and have $25,000 to pay the tax. So Patrick here has put in his $250. He doesn't actually need a Tesla. He's already got one. But he really believes that uh, if Massachusetts gets a carbon tax, then other states like California and other places will follow very quickly, and this will become standard. So he says, hey, Tesla Nation, go out there, buy yourself a $250 ticket, Maybe you'll get some cash and you can buy a Tesla and you'll help move forward carbon tax. In Massachusetts. So this is actually a, a campaign to move a carbon tax forward in Massachusetts and your monies will support that. And uh, Samir Chocolcar says that uh, there's a supercharger being built in McAllen, Texas. It's under construction. He's going to get back to us. It's at the Embassy Suites at the McAllen Convention Center, for those of you that live nearby or are passing through. Do you know what's important about McAllen, Texas? No, I do not. That's where Medicare beneficiaries Uh spend the most money in the last six months of their life. There was a fantastic article on the mess up of our distributed health care in the United States. It's called The Cost Conundrum by Atul Gawande, the cost conundrum. If you have any interest in healthcare, any whatsoever, you should check this out. It's on the NewYorker.com website, the cost conundrum. Fantastic, like 25-page article. Well, Atul Gawande is a surgeon who is a real thought leader in medicine. He's written some really uh, great books. So I will get on that. Uh, Mark Hoyle says we should do a shout-out to Chris Ramsey, who is a guy that has really been pushing the idea of of electric vehicles, and he's going in this uh, 10,000-mile race with his LEAF, um, a 30-kilowatt LEAF. It's called the Mongol Rally. Go check it out. Again, his name is Chris Ramsey, somebody that should be getting some props, according to Mark. Sounds like an adventure of amazing proportions. Walter McVeigh says, uh, look – I've got a conspiracy theory here. you got your Model S and you got your Model X and you got all these other cars and they basically, until there's the final reveal, they drive them around in body camo so you can't see what's going on. They have not been doing this with the Model 3. Yeah. And now we've seen five or six different colored Model 3s driving around. Lots and of them. he believes that they are doing a in clear sight sort of switcheroo, that they're distracting you by not putting it in body camo because there's something way more important than the styling of the car that you're all missing. It's a conspiracy theory based on absolutely nothing, but I like it. (laughs) There's a lot of Model 3s. People are watching the color. There was a white one spotted and a maybe signature red. It depends on the color rendering. So lots of cool colors. People are excited. And Elon sent another tweet out that said, if you stood online May 31st, 2016, before the reveal to reserve your Model 3, you're going to get something else extra special, right? They already sent everybody who stood in line a uh, rendering of the sort of schematic uh, design concept drawing by Franz von Holshausen. And it was like a maybe 11 by 14 size, not the huge one that they were sending out for the X and the S. And they were really cool, but something even more special. So you think it's a color? It might be a color. It might be a wheel option. It's something that's getting everybody a Twitter buzz. I believe that it is the ability to cloak and not be seen. Mm. That's a special type of paint. Well, today coming to the Talking Tesla studios, I wanted the ability to fly above and over all the other freaking cars. No, it was terrible. no, no. You don't want to go above. 
you want to go beneath. Beneath. There you go. You know, uh, the boring company is going to go from SpaceX to LAX is like the first one, SpaceX to Culver City where you live. And the other one they said they would like to do is from uh, SpaceX to uh, Sherman Oaks, which is here, because there's a giant freeway that is attaches to another giant freeway over a giant hill. And it is one of the most delayed freeways in the United States. Yeah. Woo-hoo. It's like a parking lot. So if you can go underneath that, that would be great for Robert to get to the studio. So if you could make that happen, thank you. <laughs> Got a uh, letter here from Tim James, who's an Aussie mate. And uh, he says, look, there's going to be a solar eclipse in the Australian mainland like America is about to have, but it's going to be in 2023. And he wants to get a Tesla and he wants to drive there, but it's on the West Coast. And he lives in Sydney on the East Coast. Right. And currently the supercharging infrastructure is just up and down the East Coast and then over in Perth. So he wants to know, Mel, can you tell me when I'm going to be able to go from East to West in Australia in my Tesla on a supercharger network? Because surely I must know. You'll have to buy a ticket on the East-West Hyperloop, Australia. Now that is a good idea because yeah. there are these just – it's hard to explain to a non-Australian the – enormous distances between the West and the East Coast and just how little crap is in the middle. Now, I grew up in what you Americans would call the outback. Um, There's just enormous distances across the Nullarbor Plain, across the middle of Australia, which is basically a desert and everything lives on the edges. To have a hyperloop to go between the two coasts would be great at uh, a thousand miles an hour. Thank you very much. How much PV could that area support? Oh my gosh. You could put all the PV literally for the world because it's way bigger than Spain, which is the estimated size of all of the electric needs that we would need. You'd have to have electric uh, solar panels covering all of Spain. Right. You could fit Spain in the middle of Australia. No problem. Wow. So, uh, Franco Capizzo, who says, uh, you know, we talked about the T0 and how it burnt down, and that was very bad. He found this YouTube video of somebody who was videoing the last week before he had to hand in his EV1. And in that video, there's actually a T0 next to this guy's EV1. And it is a crazy, interesting-looking car and very sad. Well, they were testing sort of batteries and the T0 and many other cars, like seven other cars, burnt down, as we talked about last week. But if you want to see that video, we've got a link in the show notes. So thanks, Franco. Yeah. I love all of the history of the electric vehicle because we're living it now. And that General Motors EV1, which was the the sort of star yep. of who k- killed the electric car, right, which is uh, Chris's movie, um, super sad story. I think that uh, GM is still eating crow on that. And the T0, you can look it up on Wikipedia. There's lots of pictures of it. It's kind of ugly. It's a weird looking yeah, it's machine. Ugly. But we talked about how fast and how far it went. Actually, that reminds me in talking of history of electric cars. My uh, father-in-law, who's 84, retired electrical engineer. He's into this stuff. He's got the bolt. He uh, was looking through, he's got these really old um, National Geographics and he pulled one out from 1906. Mm, And in there is an advertisement for an electric car. Yeah. I'm like, what the what? So you could go and buy an electric car in 1906. Yeah, there were a lot of electric cars. That was before the sort of like automotive I don't know, world, had settled on what was the source of energy. There were cars that burnt wood. There were cars that burnt oil. There were cars that burnt gasoline. There were cars that used electricity. There was even some, like, um, pressurized air cars. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that history is really fascinating. And we obviously ended up choosing 
you know, fossil fuel based because it was so energy dense and it did create sort of the Western world as we know it. But um, I've talked to fossil fuels before. Thank you. Um, but we're done now. We're going to leave you in the ground. <laughs> David Sell said, uh, Tom, I failed you. So David and Tom apparently have been DMing via Twitter and he got a Model X to drive around for 24 hours. I think as part of uh, Tesla's, you know, drive your drive a Tesla around for a while and right. we'll suck you in and you'll buy it. Right. So he was talking with Tom about, well, what should I do when I get this uh, X for the week? And Tom told him, you've got to do a couple of things. Obviously, drive around all your friends and family and get them sucked in. But you should go to the effing wing doors, pry open the uh, opening to the or the covering of the speaker and see if you can manually operate the, yeah. the falcon wing door. And David said, well, I didn't do that, Tom. I'm sorry, because yeah. it really felt like I was going to smash this grate that's over the speaker. So I didn't mm. do it. There's a great video series that was done for fire rescue personnel on how to manage Tesla cars. And we talked about it maybe a month ago. Yep. And it's out there. Basically, it's a long, like a half hour video. And there's all these Tesla people standing around and they're doing all these demonstrations. It's actually very, very cool. Now, the other thing he was supposed to do for Tom was to use Summon, but he said he was having, I'm not, not exactly sure what the issue was, something with his garage door, he couldn't make it work. Yeah, because Summon, if you if you link up to the, I can't remember what the name of that 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 feature is but basically when you press your garage door opener right mm-hmm. the little handheld device and it opens your garage door you can make home link i think it's home link right you can make the car do that and you can make summon do that so that you could have your car in your driveway you push either like when you get out of your car yep. if you hit park twice deet deet the little button yes the Summon like will come up and you can just push the forward or the backwards arrow. It will pull your car into your driveway or down your driveway, which I use. And then uh, if you have a garage door, it will supposedly open the garage door, put your car in the garage and close the garage door. And so it's sort of like this automated uh, super geek feature. I haven't used it. I don't park in a garage, but I have used Summon to go in and out of my drive because I have a very narrow driveway and I hate having to kind of like, you know, twist my body to get in and out of the car. Hate it, hate it, hate it. So now with the new car, Gen 4, I just stand there in my driveway and I use the key and my car pulls out for me. And I'm just wondering, what are my neighbors thinking? You know, I have a uh, a fourth generation S and I haven't been using someone because I was worried about the wavy lines. So with Jess and Dave, friends of the show, they're just over in the other room over there. And uh, we went into a parking lot. It was really narrow. And we all get out of the car, and Dave hits summon, and it takes the car and pulls it into the space. And i got to tell you, even though I know about this, I've seen 100 videos on it, even though I even have it on my car, it still freaks me. I'm like, oh, my God, the car is parking itself. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> it is unbelievable. Uh, it's a, more of a sto- showstopper at this point than the Falcon Wind Doors, because everybody in the parking lot goes, what the hell just happened? So cool. John Ford has another article here that is a really good read which is about the coming shift to electrification, which we are reading more and more about, that the cascade, we've sort of reached the action potential, we've come off the cliff, uh, the tipping point, that the world is going to electrify much faster than even people were predicting just a few years ago. Matthew Francis is another Australian. He's like, Mel, you talk about the various tons, and uh, we've documented all of the various tons many times. We try not to swear anymore on the show. That's right. But there is another sort of a, a expression that is used in Australia called a load. There's an S load and an F 
load. And this is exactly analogous to the S ton and mm. the F ton. I just want you to know out there. Load. Load. I wonder if there's a giga load. There could be a giga load. Now, lastly, Michael Presto. Presto. Says, you guys have been all worried about the concept that you won't have your speedometer right in front of you in the dashboard, that it's going to be on the Model 3 off to the side on uh, the big console, and that you're freaking out. And he says, everybody take a chill pill. Because he had a 2003-ish Cooper S, and it had a speedometer in that same place, in the sort of the center of the dashboard. The dashboard. So it's off to the side where you look, off to the right so of where you look. So it sits between driver and passenger. passenger. That's the best way to describe it. Thank you very much. And it's, he shows some pictures of it, which is this sort of big clock looking thing, and that's the speedometer. And he says, it takes approximately 15 seconds to get used to this. Yes. So forget about it. Don't worry. It's all going to be fine. He had it. Lots of people had it. And you just get used to it. In a second. So take a chill pill, Tesla Nation. Yeah, in fact, this week, a guy, I think his name is Barry Green, broke into Tesla software. He cracked his car. What? Yeah. So he got in there and he was able to look at the code behind Tesla autonomous driving. And he actually took his car on a drive with this backdoor view on and tried to activate some of the features that are coming that Elon just tweeted about. Maybe maybe this is pushing Elon and the Tesla team to put this stuff out sooner because people are cracking into the code, which doesn't make me feel terribly safe. This is both exciting and terrifying. Exactly. It's exciting from a new standpoint. And so he got into the code and he got the car going. And if you look at the sort of string of comments after his reveal and a lot of pictures of what's behind there, people are like, oh, does this mean there's going to be a heads up display? And I'm just thinking, oh, my God, people, (sighs) take Michael Prosto's advice. Just don't get so worked up about it. It's not such a big deal. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. But now you're freaking me out. These people are hacking into their Teslas. That means somebody else could hack into it. Yeah, there's actually, if you want if you want the truth behind this, I used to have this web page up, but I have to close some of my web pages once in a while. It was of a Tesla. It's a Tesla page. It's like the warranties page. If you want to look up the warranty of the Model S or X. And if you scroll, it's a huge page. I don't know, 30 pages long. If you really scroll down towards the bottom, they have this like Tesla, sort of like a, a board listing all of the people and companies who have helped Tesla by discovering things within the software, the sort of like bug army. Right. And like they've rewarded these folks. They've given them money. They've, you know, now they consult with them. So there's a lot of people who are working simpatico with Tesla. And maybe this guy will be one of them. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we've covered a lot of ground and we've done it pretty fast. Marathon effort. Again, uh, love to Tom. We hope to see and hear from him next week. I'm in a room with a guy that's tweeted directly with Elon Musk. Ah. That guy is Robert. My name is Mel. This is Talking Tesla. And we will speak to you and at you next week. Bye for now. By next week, we should have a lunch with Elon. 
Like, but anything could happen by yeah, next maybe week. Maybe Sarah Shardy. Yeah. Could be. Could be. See ya. Bye. Talking Tesla is a production of Fully Boo Incorporated. Hosted by Mel Herbert, Tom Wolfson, and Robert Rosenblum. Edited by Eliza Jane Barnes. And produced by CC Herbert and Mel Herbert. To support Talking Tesla, go to patreon.com forward slash talking Tesla. To find our referral codes, go to talkingtesla.net forward slash about. And finally, if you love the show, go write us a review on iTunes.